Hello and welcome back to the Journey Back to Self podcast where I look into and develop the ideas and concepts that I write about in my book, The Journey Back to Self. Uh, this is podcast number seven and it's good to have you back and uh, let's crack on with it, shall we? Um, so today you find me in my parents' house still in the UK, but I will be going back to Dubai um, on the 16th and the next podcast you will hear from me will be indeed back on the palm, Jamira, where I live with my wife. Okay, so <coughs> first things first, you can probably tell I've got a bit of a sore throat and a cold and a runny nose and all those things and it could well be the coronavirus and if that be the case, um, and so be it. I haven't got a problem with that because... In my world, it's no worse than your average cold or common flu. And my immunity is strong enough to build up an immunity to it. And I'll be covered and fine for the rest of my days. Well, at least for the coronavirus. Okay, that being said, let's look at your mental disposition and see how that is affecting your life. And what is your disposition? Um, that is your deepest conditioned beliefs. And so... What are your deepest conditioned beliefs towards, let's say, four categories? Money, health, relationships, and love. Now, so many of us know that we need to change our relationship we have with all those things if they're not satisfactory. Yet, we don't know how. People are asking for solutions without really understanding why we have the problem in the first place. And I use the term problem loosely, which I will get to in due course. Okay, so I told you previously that you couldn't outperform your self-image. And your self-image is driving your dispositions or your deepest held conditioning beliefs in every aspect of your life. And that self-image is being driven by a very specific indoctrination process which was created during your formative years. And so let me give you an example of that. Especially if you believe that you are you are all free-thinking beings who are the creators of your own lives. And you're going to find out very, very soon that that's not really the case. It is and it isn't. You'll, 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 you'll catch on. What I can assure you is this. 95% of who you are, and this is universal is unconscious, below the level of conscious awareness. And the unconscious is formed during your years between one and six. Right. Now, some of us do question the beliefs and the childhood programming, which we take into adult adulthood, which is wonderful, wonderful, especially if those programs are not serving you or the world around you. But sadly... Most do not. And hence, I would state loosely that 90% of human beings are emotionally fragile and certainly not being all they can be based on their childhood programming and all the limiting beliefs that come with that. Now, living in Dubai, I get to coach a diverse number of clients, each with their own views or what they believe to be their own views. Yet, the truth is something very different. 
Their views are, like most people's, extensions of that which was taught to them or imprinted upon them from zero to six. It's by no coincidence for that reason that the Catholic Church stated very, very eloquently, although a little controlling, I might add, give me the boy until five and I will show you the man. Meaning, allow me to fill his mind with what we want him to believe and we will have him for life. Right. And so the whole nature for versus nurture thing is quite a hot potato. And I'm sure there are, there is genetic imprinting that plays a role in who we become. But from my experience, which is over 20 years in this field, I have observed that the nurture role is far more impactful. So. Have you ever wondered and you might find this very interesting and fascinating. Have you ever wondered or taken the time to really ask the question? Wherever you were born, the one true God exists. If you were born in the Middle East or North Africa, then Allah and Muhammad will be your deity and prophet. Born in Europe, then almost certainly the Jesus and God double act will be your thing. Born in India, then, of course, Krishna, Shiva and Ganesh and Hanuman and the whole host of animal gods will hit the spot. Born into a family that practices Buddhism or Jainism, then your beliefs as an adult will align with what was taught to you as a truth and for you to follow the words and directives as outlined in their specific books. Now, so my question is, is this by pure geographical coincidence? It's rhetorical. Of course it bloody isn't. It's a product of specific indoctrination from those who believe the same thing. I would argue almost categorically, it was a statement actually, that I could take a newborn child, let's say a newborn boy, from the most fundamental Islamic family, and place him in a tribe of Amazonian headhunters for a few years. And I assure you, he will be worshipping all sorts of trinkets, trees, plants and folklore legends. Plus, he will be running around lopping off the heads of other tribes, all the while believing this to be completely normal. He will have almost guaranteed zero idea about Muhammad or Allah or Jesus or Krishna Buddha or any other overlord of the universe. So what does this mean? Other than the obvious, of course, and I'm using religion as, a, religion as an example. Over six billion of us of the eight on this planet believe in some kind of creator. And to them, their God is the true God and all others are merely imposters. When you really sit with that, it's actually comical when you sit and think about it, right? OK, and I use this as an example not to undermine religion or faith. I am, for, I am all for anything that can provide emotional support, strength and anything that promotes love and unity. Well, you know, God, we, we, we need it in a world that's anything but unified. I use this to show you how we as human beings are imprinted upon. Yet we believe it is free will that drives our beliefs and behaviour. And for many... They will fight to the death to defend that imprinted belief or 
a little better, completely lose their cool if you ever contest what their chosen book of faith has ordered them to do. Right. So with that in mind, I want you to think back and remember the stories that you were told about yourself and about life. What you could or couldn't do. What was possible for you and what wasn't. Who or what was dangerous and what and where to avoid. Which God was inflicted upon you. What did you learn about money, love, sex, work, relationships? See, I can assure you, unless you have worked hard to transform your mindset, your childhood stories, which were told to you, are still defining who and what you think about yourself today, this moment. And here is the science, if you don't believe me, to solidify that statement. The, analyt the analytical mind, which is the conscious mind, is not available to us to filter the lessons and instructions until we are roughly seven, eight, nine years old. So all the information we receive before that from those we consider our caregivers, i.e. our parents, is taken as a truth. In fact, our caregivers, when we're young and impressionable, are our gods and we look to them for everything. Now, do you see how damn important skillful parenting is and why, for the largest majority, the two-parent model, which is the best system we have currently to offer, of course, creates so many issues and limiting beliefs which are carried out into the world and then passed on to their own offspring? Now... What I'm going to say is contentious right now, but this is, without, this is without judgment, so please listen carefully to what I'm saying. When I say that the two-parent model is the best we have to offer, because around the world there are communities that practice open relationships within the community, where the woman is free to sleep with whom she wants, and therefore never knows who the biological father is, and neither do the children get to know this either. And so the whole community raises every child as if it's their own, because it may well be. Each child has the input of dozens of pseudo-parents, if you like, which will allow for that much more diversity and variety. Can you imagine living in a community of, let's say, 200 people, where the men and women have different skill sets? That child will be exposed to all the diversification and variety that those people can bring to that child. Just not the two-parent model that's inflicting their very, very intimate beliefs into that newborn and all the way up to seven years old. Now, <laughs> I can almost hear some of you parents choking on your croissants and bananas as you listen to this. And especially those more fundamental listeners will now be calling me all sorts, an agent of the dark side at best and the spawn of Satan at worst. And how dare he even suggest that this can work? And who is this guy talking such nonsense? Well, I am the guy who has seen the damage that a standard two-parent model often initiates. And for me, in my humble opinion, there are far better ways to raise emotionally well-rounded children. Okay? And we can dive into that at a later date at a different podcast. But I just wanted to put that out there and move on. OK, and to be clear, 
and once again I bring to your attention. There is no blame here being apportioned. We are all doing our best. Unless, of course, you are a sociopath or have a psycho-psychopathic mindset, which again will be another podcast and topic altogether. So, everything you are today is because of your childhood. Both good and not so good. And when you take a look at the stories, for instance, that your parents still tell about themselves, even today, and the way they see their world, their beliefs and fears, and what they still believe they can and can't achieve. If you listen to what they say about their political beliefs or their own moral code, what was and still today are you uncomfortable or uncomfortable speaking about with them? And what type of conversations are encouraged or discouraged in your household when you go and see your parents? If you pay attention, it is all there for you to, to discover and trace back to your own childhoods. If, of course, you really want to know why you do and think the way you do, including, most importantly, your levels of self-worth and self-love or lack thereof. Why you attract or why you are attracted to certain archetypes and events, etc., etc., etc. It's all there for you. So, think back and take your time and think back and remember. What are the stories that you heard about life repeatedly between the ages of three and nine, which have been impacting you ever since? And for parents who are listening to this, what stories are you telling your own children? And what kind of truths are you imprinting upon them? What are you teaching your children about the world? Is it disempowering or empowering? Bottom line on the back of this is whatever you want in life whether you want to be rich for instance then you must believe you are wealthy and capable of generating wealth if you want to have an unconditional loving relationship then that is who you must be in life an unconditionally loving human being want a six-pack and to epitomise healthy living, then who you are being must reflect that in how you live your life, including what you do and don't eat and how much exercise you do. That's just basic common sense. But unless you are being the very person that you wish to be, it won't stick. Without consistency and repetition and a belief in yourself that that is what you want to represent in life, it won't stick. Everything you have or you don't have in your life today is because of your habit mind and what you truly think of yourself. For instance, ask the question, are you in a healthy, nourishing relationship? If not, then I can assure you that your relationship with self or yourself is driving your external world and attracting to you a true reflection of your self-worth. I say true because we are experts at bullshitting ourselves to justify the stories we tell the external world as not to be found out. Bottom line, bottom line is this. If you want more, 
then you are going, going to have to be more. It's very simple. You see, because unlike words and fraudulent gestures, energy can't be fooled. Because we live in an energetic universe where everything resonates on a particular frequency, including people, illness, feelings, including love, hate, depression, anxiety, joy, bliss, rage. And I'm sure you're getting the picture. And like a magnet, we tend to attract to us the experiences and people who resonate and broadcast their frequency from the same station. What do I mean by that? For those who are familiar with that metaphor, let's say that you're keen on a particular music that a radio station is playing. Let's say Virgin Radio that plays at that broadcasts at 102.6. So they have particular newscasters and news channels and particular music and songs. And you like that. And so you tune into that. And so you can hear what they're telling you. You can hear what they're playing all day. And so people that enjoy that radio station are going to f uh, share similarities. And they will tune into that station to hear the broadcasted message. If you want to listen to love songs and happy-go-lucky news reporters and channels and events around the planet, which is which are which are favourable and full of joy, you may have to tune in to say Radio Three, which is at ninety-eight point six, where you could listen to what they're telling you, and you would be attracting to you that type of frequency where other people who enjoy the same thing hang out. So. We are forever broadcasting from a certain frequency which attracts to us and attracts to us and we attract to them a similar type of frequency and resonance. On top of that, our comfort zones, which are further expressions of our self-identity, are driving our behaviours. I'll give you an example. Anxiety, which is very common these days, is a future-based emotion which is created when the predictability of outcome goes missing. This is why we often stay in toxic relationships or do anything which is outside of our comfort zone because the predictability model often goes missing. Hence, we would rather stay in a situation or we stay with something or somebody that we can predict, regardless of how dysfunctional it is. And we'll stay there rather than dare to explore that we don't know or can predict. Or the idea of being alone for some is far scarier than being in a relationship that makes them feel alone because they can predict it. So, the, the whole predictability thing is so, so pandemic in human beings and it's driving all the anxiety, which is effectively trying to predict a future suffering, which, which is being informed upon by a painful past. But that's a probability model. OK, and there's no real truth to it other than the one we give it. And this all comes back down to our unconscious mind and what we believe to be true and what we were told was true. OK. You see, this familiarity model or the predictability model, which I explain in my book in great detail, drives pretty much all of our behaviour. And once you know this, the awareness will at least give you a chance to address it. 
but it's not going to be easy because there are no easy fixes. Regardless of what your coaching guru or some rah-rah motivational speaker would have you believe. In my opinion, this type of teaching can cause more harm than good. Why? Because when people are already struggling, are told, hey, suck it up, just think positive and all, all be okay, is doing a great disservice and, in fact, trivialising the nature of human reality, which is to predict and look out for danger and avoid it at all costs. Anxious people have become experts at this and telling them just to stop it is both ignorant and dangerous. Life, my friends, is already hard enough for those suffering with mental disorders without being told, hey, just snap out of it. This is going to make them feel even worse when they believe if others can just do that, when they compare themselves to these others who keep telling you just do that, but they cannot then they're going to think there must be something really wrong with them. And that is just compounding a problem which is already problematic enough. So, there is nothing wrong per se with you. And this is important. However anxious you are, however down you are, however depressed you are, however happy you are, there is nothing wrong with you per se. And... It's the first thing I explain when taking on a new client. Your problems are perceptions and they are not hard realities. Therefore, I'm not going to solve anything as there's nothing to solve. However, when we get into it, I do explain that together I'm going to help you dissolve the idea that your problems exist. You see, the truth is problems are perceptions. How many times has an event you labelled a problem became your greatest blessing? The job you lost only to find a better one. The partner who cheated only to find true love in the arms of the next relationship. You see, there are only events, not problems, as long as you are able to process what I just clarified. And if you find that difficult... Go back over it again and remember a time when you thought you had a major problem in your past. Yet, once the problem was solved, it ceased to be. So it's not the problem per se driving the emotion. It's the meaning you're giving to it at any given time. So, in my opinion, if you want transformation and you want to play the transformation game, in my opinion... And based on my own ability to transform, there are two ways to do it. Number one, and the organic route. Greater awareness of unconscious patterns that become conscious, coupled with consistent repetition to transform that part of your life. Let me say that again. Transformation is twofold, in my opinion. Number one, and the organic route. Greater awareness of unconscious patterns, which were the patterns that you created in your childhood, that become conscious now as an adult, coupled with consistent repetition to transform that part of your life. Pretty much the same way you developed or became proficient at anything, right? Because the mother of all skills is without doubt repetition, and she travels with her twin, which is consistency. 
and without either, you can pretty much forget being a high achiever at anything. Second method of transformation. High levels of suffering. And I, be, and I do mean really high. When you can no longer stand whatever it is that's hurting you or has hurt you or did hurt you. And that becomes the catalyst for the massive changes that happen in a moment. Okay, I get it. People will say to me, well, it didn't happen in a moment. It took me 20 years to get to this point. And yes, it did. But the change was made with an instant decision in the present moment. And these moments are massively powerful. You made a decision in this present moment based on a historical past which you could no longer tolerate. For example, the woman whose partner hits her one too many times. Or the lady whose partner doesn't come home one too many, night, one, one too many times because he's out drinking and philandering or lying or cheating, whatever it is. Or the man whose wife never stops nagging, complaining or judging the world and judging him. That look in the mirror when you cannot stand the sight of yourself another second. There are so many examples of what I call in my book tequila moments. And to give you a brief insight into, the, into a tequila moment, it was when I was younger and I used to be a playboy and party boy around the world, I used to love tequila. And one night in a London nightclub, I think I consumed around 13 shots in one hour. Within another hour, I was on the floor vomiting and I spent the next 24 hours thinking I was going to die. During that time, I'd come to the conclusion very quickly, in fact, that I would never touch tequila again. And just the smell of it creates that same memory which just puts me off com completely. That's a tequila moment. I've had a few in my life. That was one. Also, when I lost my hearing from free diving and created tinnitus in my head 24 hours a day, which I still have, um, I was looking for solutions in every corner of the planet on a round bore. I know that's something, but you get you get what I mean. And I came across different modalities that could help me. And the one that helped me the most was sticking to a very rigid diet protocol, eating protocol. Not that I enjoyed it, but it was the one that gave me the most relief. So I had to give up in a second everything that irritated the tinnitus and all the things I enjoyed. Fried food, crisps, chocolate, sweets. And I love those things. Yet the pain was so great because I suffered with a tinnitus. I was willing to do anything. Right. And so where are your tequila moments? You can use them as leverage to, to make the necessary changes in a second that you are committed to and never look back. Look in your life. You may find them for yourself. And if you haven't, it means you haven't experienced enough pain or suffering for you to make that decision. See, a woman came to me last year and she said that she'd given she had tried everything in her attempt to give up smoking. Yet she just couldn't. It was just beyond her. Neither which neither which was true. She hadn't tried everything and the ability to give up smoking was not true either. And I gave her an example and you're going to find this very harsh, but you're going to see exactly what I mean by the amount of leverage needed to make the decision that you needed to make. OK, so 
I asked her, because she obviously didn't love herself enough to change, which is what she admitted to, I asked her who she loved the most in her life. And she responded, oh, my daughter, my four-year-old daughter, she is the love and the apple of my eye. She's my princess. I said, okay, wonderful. I said, okay, so what if I told you that I'm going to send a, a particularly unpleasant gentleman to your house tonight, knock on your door, chloroform you so you're unconscious, and then I'm going to take your daughter away. And then when you wake up, you'll have no idea where she is, and I will keep her with me for two or three days. And then I will call you, and you will be completely frantic, of course, which is normal. And I will propose this simple proposition. Do you want your daughter back? Do you want to see the love of your life ever again? Of course, it's rhetorical because that's the, that's the first and only thing that woman wants is to get the love of her life back. And so I say, right, I will deliver her to you this evening completely unharmed. Yet, if you put another cigarette in your mouth, I will take her away and then and you will never, ever see her again. Do you think that would be enough leverage to never smoke a cigarette again. If you truly believed that the love of your life would be taken from you and never to be seen again, would that be enough leverage for you to give up smoking? In a heartbeat, she said, absolutely. So it's not about your ability to do or not do something. It's the level of motivation that's driving you to do that thing. You induce enough suffering or leverage over yourself. You can change in a heartbeat. So that's the second way of change, using pain. So to wrap this up for today, because it's been a, a 30 minute podcast, which is what I wanted to sort of keep them to a limit. I want you to ask yourself some questions and then answer them based on this podcast and what you've learned. Question one, who am I? And does that contribute to my ideal life or the life I want? Not who am I, as in Darren, who are you in the first person? Who am I? And does that contribute to my ideal life or the life I want? Question two. What identity would I be to create a successful business? What identity would I be to create a successful business? Question three, what identity must I be to have the relationship I believe I deserve? And then one more, which is very powerful. Who would I be and how would I feel and what would I do if I already had and then fill in the blank, whatever it is you want in your life? Who would I be? How would I feel? And what would I do if I already had? And then whatever it is that you believe you want in your life. What you will all realise is this. You cannot create a life, any type of life, beyond that you are currently experiencing without surpassing whatever it is you have done up to this present moment. To use another metaphor, if you wish to build a 10,000 square foot mansion, 
you have to prepare the foundations accordingly. If your footings and foundations are 500 square feet, you cannot. I repeat, you cannot build anything bigger than that. The foundations just won't allow it. You have to remove the restrictions first and expand upon it until you can house your aspirations. It's the same with transformation. You cannot change anything in your life at the same level that it was created. You must break out of your old patterns and break the habit of being yourself. Keep doing what you've always done and you will get what you've always gotten. It's fucking simple. It's so straight and simple, yet so many people complicate it and then wonder why they can't change. Or to steal, steal another of my favourite Albert Einstein's pearls of, pearls of wisdom, doing the same thing repeatedly and expecting a different result is just insanity. Yet if I said to you that you were insane, you would push back against me and maybe insult me on in some level, but... The criteria for insanity is being met over and over again by the vast majority of humanity. So, what's it going to be? More of the same? Or are you committed to the behaviour necessary to bring about the transformation required to have the life you believe you deserve? And until the next time, my friends... Be your greatest version. And I almost forgot, if you wish to enroll my skill sets to help you level up and to really help you push through some blockages, then you know how to get hold of me. Um, DarrenJohnTims at gmail.com or you can get me through my website, which is www.darrenjohntims.com. Um, or you can get me on YouTube, which is Darren Timms, or Facebook, which is Darren Timms, or you can call me on my mobile, which is 050-427-5985, and we can discuss what it is that you need to do to change and the course of action required. Okay, and so until the next time, and this time I am signing off, be your greatest version, and whatever that looks like. It's been good to be here with you.